Hi guys, welcome back to What's On Your Mind. I'm here today with the co-founder of Jive PR and Digital, Almira Bardai. Almira is literally one of the most amazing, amazing humans in the entire world. They were able to grow their business to have over a million dollars in revenue. So not only do you hear her tips and tricks, but we talk and have an open, honest conversation about relationships, money, and even mindset. So because we just got into such a great flow, there's actually going to be a part two this coming Thursday where we just elaborate on everything and talk about so much more. So don't forget to come back and listen to that. But I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and don't forget to leave the podcast or rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. So I want to actually just ask you because we're talking about it. What, what, why did you start your PR company? Because I feel like it's so different. Like when you think about starting a company, people think e-commerce, people think, you know, let me give classes, but not a lot of people think PR company and it's such an interesting business and it's such an interesting space like that, just that side of things. So like why, why PR? Yeah. Well, I mean, keeping in mind, this was a long time ago, so I'm definitely older than you are, but it was, I mean, that's my background and my training. So I went and I got a communications degree and ended up working. Um, so I'm trying to remember now, oh yes, I did the co-op program where you do internships. So I got really great, varied background. So I worked for the government. I worked for future shop, which is now best buy got that experience. Yeah. And then I worked for the government again. I did some contracts. And then I ended up in a PR agency and I'd always had it in my head about, I would really like to do public relations. And then that began, began my PR life. And then I moved to the UK, became head of global PR for an awesome beer brand out there. I did PR and communications in Australia, in South Africa. And then I came back to Vancouver and Canada, maybe it's changed, but at the time it was very much about, you know, you haven't been here in such a long time. You don't know the market anymore, which is really quite ridiculous because my experience allowed me to soar, you know, at a global level, I was head of global PR in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so they came back here and nobody would hire me. And so I ended up consulting. And so the feeling from the Canadian market, cause I think by that point I've been gone for seven years wow. was that you've been gone for too long. You don't right. know the market, you know, you have to be right. a journalist again. And, you know, I, I taught myself who the journalists were in the UK, like this stuff is all learnable. Right. Yeah. And so I ended up consulting and that is what turned into my PR agency life and my business partner at the time. So we met and we were friends first and she had the same experience and she's blonde hair and blue eyed. Her name is Lindsay. And she was in India as a Bollywood producer. Shut up. That is crazy. You can imagine when they're expecting, you know, this Bollywood producer and blonde haired Lindsay comes in, right? And so she had a great experience and everything. And before that, she actually worked in the UK, but she came back to Vancouver and had exactly the same experience that I did. And so she did freelance PR in the film and entertainment industry, whereas my background is more corporate brand. Um, And then we just, we ended up becoming friends. And then one day I looked at her and said, and we just had a love of champagne. So we were having champagne. And I said to her, what do you love about your business and what do you hate? And she's like, I don't want to get involved in the ops, you know, with the client management. I just want to do biz dev. And I said, I love the clients and the ops. I want to do that. So we, at some point knew we'd probably end up competing. So we thought, why don't we just go into business together? And that's what we did. And, you know, public relations is still very much done. And I think now there's more consultants, more boutique agencies, you know, I see like the younger generation uh, consulting themselves, but our intent was to have a small agency and not necessarily grow it as we did. I mean, we started with a smaller idea that was incredibly successful and then we grew it, you know, it's just like anything, you know, you peel an onion or you, you allow it to blossom. 
And so we started with her and I and four contractors and then it grew and grew. And then by the time that we were done, so I sold the business to her in 2018. And at that point we had three offices at about 30 people. And so we had Vancouver and then we opened up Toronto and then we opened up Los Angeles and we ended up doing social media actually our first year. So very like traditional PR, get our clients into the media. And also back then it was very different. There was no such thing as paid editorial, you know, that that's part of the PR mix now that there's earned you pitch media and you get your clients into the media, but now you can also pay for really great coverage. Um, but again, with this client, that was our first client, the beer company, the Twitter just started, Facebook just started. And this was in the old days where you would write a content calendar in Excel. There was no such thing as, you know, Hootsuite or social media management. It's not the industry that it is now. And so we started offering social media and it's become so entwined in terms of public relations, social media, you know, again, engaging with audiences and influencers and how do you do it from all these social platforms? But none of that existed back then. It started to exist when we started the business in 2009 and the industry has just changed so much. Yeah. Yeah. So I want, if for anybody who doesn't know PR is what, what PR is and what do you, what you do? Why don't, cause I feel like, I mean, my generation, I feel like if you're in the influencer space or if you're interested in like becoming a creator, maybe, you know, what PR stands for, but I know that a lot of people probably don't know what it is. So why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown? So back in my day, so I'm 43. And so public relations, when I first started was about getting your clients in the media and working with journalists. And you know, there's things about proactive public relations where you pitch your story. And so we are the people who have the contacts or make the contacts in at the journalists. So in the media industry, and we make the contacts, have those relationships where the client then hires us to take their story out to the media. That's proactive public relations. But then of course there's the reactive stuff where there's a crisis happening or you know whatever's happening out in the world you're managing it or responding to it and that is the very like traditional sense of what Mm -hmm. PR is and then um, now it's there's something called the peso model p-e-s-o and that is integrated communications and really what it's evolved to so it's really looking at um, you know this this ecosystem if you will of what are the things that fall under the PR wheelhouse and so yes earned media as we call it which is pitching the media getting them to cover it for free Uh, But there's also the paid media, like I said, and that's typically when you buy it's native content where you actually buy the story, work with the publication to put together, you know, get them to interview your client, put together a really great story. What I love about that is, is that you can actually control the message um, and you're guaranteed the placement, but it's not to say that it's ever going to be advertisement like, right? It has to be a story. It has to be of interest. Um, But, you know, through there, if it's a digital story, you can put in trackable codes, you can see the conversions, like that's the beauty of what digital marketing has brought into it. And again, going back to the peso model that I was talking about, how it's so integrated is, is that you now look at your story and you look at all like the the legs of it, the fingers of it and say, okay, I've got my earned media, I've got my paid media. How am I going to take the story on social media? What's going to be my Instagram content? Can I do reels from this? Am I going to do polls? Maybe am I going to do like, you know, Facebook, can I take this across uh, LinkedIn? What is the CEO? Like, is, is there a campaign that's or an element that the CEO is going to say that we can do for user for his content? You know, maybe it is a business transformation and we should be doing some CEO thought leadership and doing long form articles for entrepreneur magazine or things like that. Is there a podcast that we can bring into it? Okay. Now let's talk about digital marketing. If we're launching something, what does the the paid part of it look like? Is there a display? Are we doing social media ads, right? What about owned platforms, which is our own website, our blog? What are we saying there? So it's really, really holistic in what it's come into and where PR gets to play. You know, we're not doing all of these pieces ourselves. 
themselves. You'll bring in digital marketing people and, you know, especially um, a paid ad specialist, like that, those jobs did not even exist in my time. Right. But again, it's like, how are we getting that story out? How are we storytelling? And then of course, using influencers to be part of that campaign, because for your generation, that's where the most important thing is. Although I have to say my new favorite influencers are actually, what do they call them? I can't remember what the name is, but they're actually elderly influencers. So people in their seventies. Yeah. There's a bunch of them that are in their seventies and they are so stylish. Most of them are fashion and style. It's brilliant. And they've just jumped onto it. Yeah. I wish I could remember what they're calling them, but you know, there's influencers of every type now. And it's, it's really cool to get to play in these spaces with all of these stories. Right. Yes. And I think that sometimes like, I wonder there's all these cool jobs that you just don't see. Cause it's like the behind the scenes mm-hmm. and you know, for your job, you may see like the influencer side and you may see what maybe like their sponsorship, but where does that come from? Right. That comes from you and that's your space. And so just seeing like how many things go into actually creating a story and creating something is so, I mean, amazing to see because you just never think to put those pieces together. It's like, wow. It's like, it's a lot of pieces. It's not just like two people. It's like a, like it's a lot. And like you said, like these older generations too, I feel like we're now babies, like these younger people, because the light, our lifespan is expanding. And like, you have 70 year olds being influencers, but typically you just think of it as being like 20, but like these, all these little puzzle pieces just come together and form this big world that is social media. And that is this space, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think part of the more exciting things is that, you know, it's funny because sometimes the client will come and be like, why are you recommending paid media? Like I'm hiring you to get the story. And part of it is saying to them that actually there's so much richness and how you can craft and develop the story and how things are different now. Right. So our job has changed that much to be able to take that step back and be like, how are we telling, crafting, getting it out there? And especially, so one of my clients, it's Netcoins, which is a cryptocurrency exchange. Wow. And which is so cool to be a part of at the time right now, but you know, it crypto hasn't had the best reputation and especially in Vancouver, we've had two or no, it was one here and one was in Toronto, two exchanges that were Ponzi schemes. And so the fear, and I think also Canadians are also just generally more conservatives. So the fear is around crypto and, but yet there's, there's tons of opportunity, obviously, So we actually did a paid campaign as part of our earned pieces because we were guaranteed coverage. It allowed us to carry those messages of trust, a credible exchange. You know, how do we position all of this? So there's so many tools that we now have in our toolbox. Um, And going back to the paid piece, like, again, the clients are like, why am I paying you to do something? But there's actually more work for us PR people behind it now. You know, before we would have our press release and we would pitch it. But now we actually have to work with like developing the story, briefing the teams, you know, making that there's trackable codes so in fact is is that well actually i should be charging you more money because it's more work for me to do more to do paid right again it's just it's become a really fascinating industry now as to all the things that you can do so you we touched on before or you touched on before how it's changed so much since you started so has that changed i mean like your love for it or how and how has it changed your job even Yeah. You know what? I think for a time it did in the sense that I was just like, oh, like, is this my life that I'm dealing with influencers in the sense that you're just like, you're always like feeding and handholding and things like that. Yeah. And I love influencers. Don't get me wrong, but you kind of get to that point. You're like, Seriously? oh yeah. Of course, of course. Um, but I think again, it's, it's when you can find 
and, and dig for those gold nuggets. You know, what is our story and being able to take that holistic view, like, and I love strategy now. And I'm at that point in my career where I work very strategically with a CEO in building their brand. Like they need to run the company, but they need somebody to be able to like strategically put together their brand. And what I do, which is really cool is a lot of my clients are tech companies. So they'll have a marketing director who is and a team who's all over digital, like all the stuff that I say I'm too old to do, right? You would not want me to be doing paid ads. There's absolutely, there, I'm sure there's some 43 year olds who are awesome. Not me. I have no idea, right? So I need that piece of it. But what I come is the bigger strategic piece to be like, okay, how do we set up this brand, this company? What is our story? What's our messaging? What is our identity? How do we roll this out? You know, and then putting together a whole list of activities that we could do and then prioritizing which ones will actually push the needle. So is it influencers? Is it CEO thought leaders? Leadership. How are we engaging people? And that's the place that I really am having so much fun playing with given all of my years of experience um, and to bring in all of those pieces to tell the story and not just like, you know, just not just the influencer piece or not just the PR piece right. to be able to do it. Yeah. Mine's really more like holistic strategic communication. That's the, where I play now. Whereas, you know, before also when I started in PR, I was very much just pitching the media all the time. Yeah. Um, so it's been a really nice evolution of my career. Yeah. And it seems like it has been just also because the industry has changed so much, like you said. So, I mean, naturally I'm sure your job is going to change, but I find it, I've never, like, I find it so interesting just seeing this side of things, because like I said, I just don't think we see it enough. You know, there's a whole thing that goes into like building your brand and building the CEOs or a CEO's platform, right? It just doesn't magically appear like that. Yeah. Totally. There's a whole bunch of legwork behind it. And, you know, to give you some stories from like the old days, the stuff that PR people are behind, like uh, I worked in crisis cons. And so one of our clients was the bus company and we could not do a press conference because then we would have protesters. And then, you know, you have to be careful about those things, but we couldn't even do a press conference in a unionized hotel because the hotel workers um, would have, would be protesting in support of the other union and people would have to cross the picket line. So I would have to find a non-unionized hotel Wow. This is all back in the day and there was no Wi-Fi or internet. So I would have to have like call the telecom company and beg them to be laying cable so that we would be able to do like, you know, in my career, I actually did the press conference for Best Buy bought Future Shop. And so the CEO for Best Buy had come to Vancouver and we were doing um, interviews with Good Morning America and other massive US outlets. But again, I had to use a hotel that was not unionized just, you know, for other reasons. Um, But then I had to call the telecom company, get the cable laid down we need satellites done to be able to or satellite dishes to be able to come in order to do these interviews good morning america and again this is like 20 years ago the technology is just not there to be able to do it whereas now you'd be like great let's do a skype call or or zoom or whatever it might be but these are also the things that we as pr people are doing and considering at all times we are you know where is our client's reputation where is it at stake where are the things that we could be taking care of you know some days we are ironing the suits for when your client is going on tv and has not ironed anything. You know, I had (laughs) one event that we were doing and it was very high profile event with a whole bunch of celebrities. And one of the celebrities was flying in from, I think it was New York, forgot his passport or didn't even realize he needed the passport to come into Canada. 
So he had to go back to LA. His assistant gave him his passport. Then we needed to get him into, it was into Calgary. Um, but we have to go through like smaller parts of town. And we were like, okay, should we helicopter him in? But there's issue wasn't there. And then, so then I called the limo company and I was like, I need you to have a steamer there because he's going to need to have a suit steam. Like this is PR people's jobs, right? Like everybody thinks it's very, very glamorous. And, you know, we are steaming him. And then I'm like, okay, he's going to have to be on for the award show and he wouldn't have eaten. So I need you to have food there. I need you to have this, you know, can you have chargers in the car in case he would like, so then I can send him a speech and he can grab it on his laptop. You know, these are the, the literally the individual things that PR people need to think about in order to run everything smoothly. You know, it looks like red carpet glam. It is not. Um, and you're always working to be able to get all of those pieces together. There's so many puzzles in the behind the scenes of it. So that is- yeah. Wow. It keeps it fun. It definitely keeps it fun. Yeah. I'm sure that you keep busy and you keep on your toes, clearly. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm, was it like a high profile celebrity? Like, I'm just curious. Oh, I yeah. Add this in. oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And it was, oh, there was a bunch of celebrities there and everything. But again, this is our job, especially if you do film and entertainment PR. You know, if you're running red carpets, that's completely different. You're even like planning the staging where everybody's going to be on the red carpet and how you flow everybody down a red carpet. Um, yeah, it's absolutely anything and everything. And 20 uh, PR has always been a 24 seven game because the story can run at any point, but with the um, integration now of social media, it is Uh even more a 24 seven story, right? So a journalist in the old days would write their story and they would file it about 3 PM. And then it would run the next day in the paper, but now something can go up online. They're usually writing about three stories they might have video that goes up and you know if if a crisis breaks on twitter you are all over it for the next 24 hours right whereas at some point that story would stop for the day it's not to say that it was over but you had your print deadlines right Right, right, or maybe radio could pick it up but everybody's going to sleep whereas nothing sleeps now when it's on social media and so it is just it can just absolutely explode right so that's the other part of it is is that you you literally need to be this jack of all trades especially for young people going into the industry you need to be able to like cover all the platforms or be able to watch them and stuff like that in in essence the old days were were simpler because you knew your enemies sometimes right you knew your deadline whereas now it can just keep going and going like it's and I think that's what also may make it even harder it's just that you don't have a hard, fast set rule. You kind of have to make those rules and create those boundaries too, because you need to have like a work-life balance at some point. Like your entire life can't just revolve around social media and not just like with PR, but with everybody, you know, social media is everywhere. It's on your phone. Like this is what is in your hands all the time. You know, it, it never goes away. So, I mean, with that being said, what is like, what does your day look like and how do you manage it all? How do you maintain like your work-life balance? Yeah. You know what? People have always said that there's no such thing as balance. And to a certain degree, I think coming from the PR industry, there isn't, but I was talking to somebody recently and they said, it's about having boundaries. And especially as you like move up through PR, you decide, you know, it's time to do a career change or something. Mm -hmm. Um, women, especially because you know, PR just has so many women actually have a total lack of boundaries because you've ended up like on the 24 seven, a train, right? right? So it is about having those boundaries of everything. And with me, like, so I have a three-year-old. Um, and so I like to wake up at six o'clock in the morning so that I can get my time to meditate, just have time to myself. <clears throat> 
he's usually up at seven o'clock and then it's like, it's go time. Like we're getting changed, brush teeth, you know, um, you know, he'll, he'll go downstairs and sit with dad and watch his cartoons. And I finished getting dressed and having my breakfast. And then it's like ready to hit the day daycare drop off. And then what I actually like to do for the first thing is, is that checking my stocks and checking crypto I'm involved in crypto as well. And I'm just, it's, it's amazing. Um, I mean that I, we should talk about crypto next. Yes, we should. Um, yes. Yeah. And then it's like right into my day. And also what I keep with um, balance is, is that I work out, I go work out four days a week. I have a trainer. Health has become really, really important to me, especially as I get older. And I think that, you know, if my generation is expected to live to a hundred, what do I want 80, 90, 100 to look like? Right. I mean, they're going to take away my driver's license at 90, um, <laughs> but am I, I don't want to be in a retirement home. You know, I want to be having a great time with my friends, but I want to be in the best health. And so it's actually become really, really important to me that I'm just of the best health. Um, And then, yeah, dealing with my clients. That's the biggest thing. I I do consulting. I work with the CEOs. Um, I'm working on programs, planning programs. If I need to, I might pitch media, but I do have a team behind me and set. That's the work that they do. Checking in with my team. I've got a social media person who handles my own social media. Um, and then, you know, again, as part of my health, I really want to cook. So trying to cook at least a couple of times a week, you know, just that's where the balancing and the juggling all yes. comes in. Yes. Yes. And then 4.30, I am done. 4.30, 4.45, done. Pick yeah. up the tie from daycare. And then it's mom time. And then, um, yeah. And then it's family time as well. Like we'll play with Matai and then it's bedtime for Matai. And then I get my time back in the evening. Um, I'm totally into personal development, self-development. So I do a whole bunch of courses through Mind Valley. I'm obsessed with Mind Valley. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm doing an energy medicine one right now with Donna Eden. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I did that. Um, I've done some money ones. I think that there's a lot of issues around, especially around women and money. Um, and then reading. So yeah, that's my day. And then I, I meditate twice a day. I do Ziva meditation. Wow. And um, so two 20 minute sittings. So yeah. Wow. So it's a really, really full day for sure. For sure. Like by the end of the day, like I'm good. Yes. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And then just, you know, just try and manage and balance all of it, but it feels good. It feels right. And oh, on Fridays I teach yoga. So that's ah, where I did. Okay. So that's yeah. Friday mornings. Yeah. Yeah. I always say like, I mean, okay. I know everybody always says it, but moms are really superheroes. Like, I don't know what I would do without my mom. Like I truly don't. And, you know, I see the way she gets up, she gets up really early, this whole thing. And then she has a full-time job. There's just so much going on and just prioritizing your health as well. And just the people around you, their health as well is also super important. And also focusing on like your hobbies, like you said, yoga, crypto stocks. I love it. So good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, moms are amazing, but like, of course we shouldn't like forget the dads. And I think also one of the things, especially as a boy mom that I've realized is, is that we are raising our girls to be amazing, but what about the boys, right? We mustn't forget them. And I think everybody thinks that the boys get the world handed to them in a sense they do. And girls are still fighting for their place, but there is, and I I see it. There's even an imbalance where the girls are like, so ultra powerful that the boys are kind of like, like, where, where do I fit in? How do I find my place? And, you know, it goes back to, you know, you read so many articles about um, girls' education in countries like Afghanistan, where they're getting so much support and all of these wonderful things. And I mean, partially it's because the girls couldn't go to school, but the boys are being left to be educated in madrasas, which are run by terrorists. So you think about, you know, you can't just be educating the girls. You have to be able to educate the boys as well, because that's how we're going to be improving civil society and politics and all of the the repercussions and the implications around that. We can't bet our boys. And, you know, we can't be talking about how there's toxic masculinity about their toxic masculine culture if we're changing 
female culture. We need to be changing male culture as well, right? That's the world that I want my son to live in. Yeah, and I think that's a really refreshing um, view, point of view to see because everybody does talk about like empowering women. And I do believe like, it's just, there's been so much inequality and injustice towards us for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I'm really glad. Thousands and millions. Okay, thousands (laughs) and millions of years, right? And so it's really nice to see women rising up, but I also don't think that it should, like you said, come at the expense of men and boys, because if, if that is just like, you're still, there's still an imbalance. Yeah. Like like head scratching because we don't want, especially like being women and having like that motherly instinct, you don't want to benefit from your, for yourself, just at the expense of someone else. Right. It has to be a balance. You know, everybody should be educated. It shouldn't be one or the other. Yeah. It should be everybody. And Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm really passionate about is, is not just women's equality. It's about everybody. And, and I mean, all groups, I mean, if this year has taught us anything, right. We all look back at like, what does equality look like? What does empowerment look like? You know, what is, what is true equality? And you can't have equality without dismantling the systems. And, you know, that's going to take a while, but I mean, I think we're hopefully not got with, I think we're finally there. And, you know, you and I were talking about crypto and when you look at money and financial systems, that's a whole other bag, right? There's a, I mean, it's not my favorite book, but it's called the Bitcoin standard. And it's by an economist who talks about the history of money. And the idea behind Bitcoin is that it's sound money. That's not controlled by a central bank because Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's the U S or the Canadian government. I'm sure it's all of them, but they recently printed a trillion dollars. So your grandchildren are going to be paying for COVID, right? When you put that much money out there. So at what point do you have strong money and strong finance? And then also there's only 15% of women who are investing in crypto. So that means that there's 85% out there who are not doing anything. And, you know, everybody talks about how it's the biggest like wealth changer, generational changer for women is cryptocurrency. And I do believe it is because like, it's funny, people find it so volatile, whereas I guess because I play in it daily is, is that I actually find the volatility understandable, whereas yeah. I'm trying to understand the, the stock market. Um, but here's an opportunity for women to be able to get in on wealth. And that's the biggest thing for them. I saw this Instagram thing the other day and I loved it. And it said, women with lots of money have more choices and louder voices. And I was like, I love that. I love it. I, you know? yeah, I mean, it's, I hate it, but it, like, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is the case, you know? Yeah. And so I want to ask you, how, how do you think that the world is going to change in the next few years with cryptocurrency becoming more prevalent and wealth, you know, financial literacy becoming more available, maybe not to everybody, but just in general and people like you talking about it, you know, like the people who hear this are going to be interested in it now. Right. So how do you think the world is going to change in the next few years? I don't know. And people even just ask about like the industry and nobody could predict COVID. (laughs) So I think that's what it goes down to is, is that I don't know what the world is going to look like because so much has been upended and changed. And, you know, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine yesterday and saying that we were so sucked into technology before COVID Yes, and finally allowed us to put our phones down and, and all of those things. But we're also seeing technology you know, become more helpful because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, you know, everything is a give and take. Are we going to finally be like, we get to connect and people are going to be so excited to see each other once everybody's fully vaccinated and spent all this time together, or are we still going to be on a phone or have, maybe there's a third space. And maybe that's the answer is, is that it's none of the old, it's none of this new. It is a beautiful combination of whatever we had and taking all the best pieces, you know, but I like, I was so, um, 
inspired at the beginning of COVID, seeing everybody helping each other out, you know, you, people can get food or, you know, we're wealthy and now having to go to food banks and things like that. But it seems like it's tapered off. You know, I felt like there was so much hope at the beginning of COVID. Ironically, there was so much hope. I don't know if it lasted. And so that's where I don't know where we're heading to because I don't know what will last or what will come out of it. There's been so much good will it stay, you know, will, will black lives matter and anti-racism be there a year from now, or is it something that we're just giving lip service to, you know, or are we going to continue to see black men killed or, or just jogging and all of those things. So I think until that stuff happens, which is not going to be immediate, I do think that there's good change happening. I would love to see the good change continue and being able to see the impact of that. What do you, what do you hope to see in the future. And like we were talking about before, what do you want the world that your son lives in looks like? To be a more equitable place and honestly, just a more kind place. It really doesn't take time to be kind. And I think that also we've gotten so caught up in ourselves and in the talk in our head that I don't know if our perceptions are actually reality. I certainly know that mine are always not reality. I take a step back and I'm like, that's just the shit in my head, right? Yeah. And taking it back and seeing, you know, how do I reframe this? How do I master my thoughts? How do I master myself? But how do I do it all within looking at humanity and how we create change? That's the piece that I want is, is that, you know what they say is that if you want change, you be the change, be the change that you want to see in the world. And that's the piece that I hope that people can continue to do it. Um, because we can't keep doing what we've been doing, you know, like, the Amazon or, you know, other issues in climate change, we can't just keep having this lip service. So if we can all just create change and choose kindness, it's really simple. Just choose kindness. Choose to be nice. Yes. Like it's not that hard. It's not that hard to smile when you see somebody. It's not that hard to say thank you when somebody holds the door. And it's, it's, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to make the bad decision, you know, like, it may not, yeah, okay, maybe some people are naturally nice, but it's because that's where they grew up and it didn't come like that. Like nobody's born with that. You have to develop it, right? Or at least that's what I think. I don't know. But it's it's a lot easier said than done. And I think that it all really starts within us. And in order to improve our society and improve our world, like we can't, we're literally not going to live if we continue on. Yeah. Yeah. And it really does start with just being nice. It really does. It's, it's really that simple. And I think, you know, I was talking to another friend of mine and we were talking about how do you act in a relationship? And she's like, well, I think about it. How would I talk to my boss like this? No. So why would I choose to talk to my significant other like this? And I think there's so much learnings for all of us, you know, and, but it, it's a bit of a struggle because you want to be your authentic self. And yeah. I was talking to one of my coaches. Again, I do so much coaching. I have so many coaches and she was saying, how can you say this in your most elegant way and your most elegant self? And that was so powerful to me because everybody always says, oh, Mary, you're so elegant. And, but I'm not elegant when I'm giving feedback. <laughs> right? How do I continue to do that? Right. So what is something you learned from that coach? What, what is a way that you elegantly deliver? Uh, you know what? Say it nicely. How does it land? Thinking about how does it land? And again, like I have no filter and you don't have to, uh, this isn't just my partner saying goodbye to me. Um, he's headed out. Oh yes. Um, but how does it again? Cause you would think if you were going to get feedback to your employee, 
you would think about, okay, you know, you probably sit it, sit down, write it out, think about it, practice right. it. Right. Do we do any practicing when we talk to our family members? No, we're like, right? right. You're just like, you're giving it to them. Okay. And we don't do any thinking that when we are talking to our, our parents, talking to our significant others, whereas you put so much effort into being your best self at work. Like, where did that come from? Why are we not trained to be better human beings? Right. And that's what I think about is that, and especially like with my son, cause he's three and it's just like, he's, he just moves all the time. And sometimes just my lack of patience. I'm like, mm, right. Just sit down kid. But it's just like, you know, Dr. Shafali talks about the pause, yes. just taking that pause. And I'm not perfect with the pause at any means. Like my tongue is like, there's some moments, but how do you bring that into the rest of relationship and all of the other things? Right. So, and that's, that's what I just think about is, is that, is it really as simple as a pause that if we all just pause and breathe, we could all be a little different. And those are my lessons because that I've not been good at the pause. Like I know my faults, I know them. And I know that like, I'm not perfect. I know all the things that I've done. And I think, man, if it was just as easy as a pause, things could be so different, but then everything's a lesson, right? Everything is a lesson. And I mean, something I was with my friend the other day or actually yesterday, and she got into an argument with her boyfriend. Right. And I was like, this, you don't argue like this this isn't the way to do it. It's not, you can't do it over messages. Just, just not, not take like a two second pause, but take like an overnight pause and talk about it because nobody talks with their, with their anger properly, or you don't, you don't, your thoughts, what you want to say doesn't come across. You're fogged. Like you're just, you're mad. You don't, nobody says it clearly. And like you said, you know, we, we take that step back and we do it in a workplace, right? You, you, you want to put your best self forward, but why don't the majority of people do that at home with their family? Because it's equally as important, if not more. Totally. I hope you guys enjoyed part one of the episode with Almira. Just to give her a little bit more of an intro, Almira is one of Canada's leading experts in brand building and communications. She has worked for over 20 years to build amazing, amazing narratives for huge companies like Nike and Best Buy and so many more. She then obviously started her company, Jive PR and Digital, an award-winning top public relations firm specializing in media relations and social media marketing service. Sorry, services. She's also received multiple awards as an entrepreneur and advocate for women in leadership. She's won Enterprising Woman Magazine's 2016 Enterprising Woman of the Year, Profit, and Canada Business W100, Canada's Top Female Entrepreneurs 2016, Business in Vancouver 40 Under 40 2016, and a finalist for the 2014 Vancouver YWCA Woman of Distinction Awards. So thank you guys so much for listening once again, and don't forget to come back this Thursday, September 9th to hear the rest of our conversation. Trust me, it's such a good one, and you don't want to miss it. So I will see you then. Bye. Bye.